Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. nine. Acts chapter nine. That's where we'll be. It's hard to believe um, me and my family have been here for uh, September will be a year and uh, that's uh, very strange. Um, time flies very quickly. Um, Clarissa was she actually she hadn't started crawling when, uh, when we moved here, and then she crawled for the first time in Miss Tanya's office, um, and then she, uh, she walks everywhere now, in dangerous places, across streets. Can't, you, can't turn your eye, you can't turn away from her for like a millisecond, because she'll be gone, like quick. So anyway, but it's, it's just amazing. Um, I never thought I would live in Texas. Um, I always heard rumors outside of Texas that Texas would secede from the Union and all that stuff. And I always thought if they did, that's when I'll move to Texas. That's when I'll go because they're going to want to keep their guns. They're going to want to keep their, you know, their sweet tea. They're not going to let, you know, a particular first lady take away their junk food, you know, all that stuff. So, um, but anyway, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to live here. It, uh, it's, it's awesome being here. It's awesome being at this church. Um, I've said many times to, to my family and to others, I'm amazed at how busy this church is. Such a busy church. And that's a good thing. That's a, that's a very good thing. It means we're active in our community. We're active in sharing the gospel, reaching our community. Um, and I love the emphasis that Pastor has. Even if there's a community event that we're not hosting, um, he strongly emphasizes for us to be a part of that. And I think that's so important. Um, Paul strongly emphasized that um, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe, or 2 Corinthians, where he said he became like the Romans, he became like the Jews, he became like the Greeks, in order that he might reach them. And uh, he made an emphasis, not without law to God, though, not without law to God. He, he still maintained morality in his culture, but he decided he was going to do everything that he could uh, to reach his city, to reach his area, and I think that's important. Um, and we're going to talk about Paul tonight. In fact, we're going to talk about him when he was called Saul. And uh, so Acts chapter 9 is where we'll be. And uh, look with me, if you would, in verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Is that interesting to you? I I don't know. It's interesting to me. Who art thou? And then he names him by name, Lord. Right? Um, I think Paul knew, or Saul knew exactly who it was. It was Jesus Christ appearing to him. And, uh, and, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You notice it wasn't the Christians 
that Jesus said Paul was persecuting. He said, it's me. Paul, you're persecuting not just these people, you're persecuting me. Uh, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. With the Lord's help this evening, I'd like to preach to you this message, what it takes to change a man. What it takes to change a man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word, and Lord, I don't take it lightly. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray that only that, those things that you would have me to say are what are said from this pulpit tonight. And I do pray, Lord, for our pastor as he is uh, away from us for the next few days. I pray that you'd strengthen him. I pray that you'd clear his mind, help him to uh, return uh, spiritually strong, uh, ready to continue on the work that's going on here. I pray that you would help us all to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, to your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What it takes to change a man. Now, I want to premise this message, first of all, by saying that we should all be in the process of changing ourselves. I hope you never get content with where you're at spiritually. Um, until the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face, I hope that you're constantly growing. I hope that you could look at your the past year and say, I am closer to Christ today than I was at this time last year. I think you should ask yourself that on a regular basis. Am I closer to Christ now? Am I, am I better, not for my glory, but for his glory, uh, than I was a month ago or than I was a year ago? And if not, then I think you need to ask yourself why that is. Why am I not a better Christian? Why am I not drawing closer to Christ? And I believe the Lord, if you're a a true born-again Christian, I believe the Lord will show you exactly what it is that's preventing you from being as close to Christ as you can be. So we should all be in the process of changing. But also, let me premise the message by saying this, we should all be the kind of influence that changes others for the glory of God, that changes others to, that pushes others to be more like Christ that are leading souls to Christ, lost souls to Christ on a daily basis, or at least on a weekly basis, or a monthly basis, however many opportunities God gives you. We should be that type of influence. When I was in college, I heard this statement many times, and those who who went to West Coast in here, you no doubt heard Dr. R say this multiple times, that you, uh, let, let let me read it so I don't misquote, you will be in 10 years... The same person you are today with the exceptions of the books you read and the people you spend time with. The books you read and the people you spend time with. I think we could broaden that out a little bit. Let's just say the media that influences us, right? I I know that a lot of young people don't read books anymore, right? In school, you say you read the books, but you don't read the books. We all know that, right? Cliff notes. Anyway, um, and uh, so anyway, but... Who you allow to influence you will decide who you are in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So let me challenge all of us to be careful who we allow to influence us and what we allow to influence us. And let's also be careful that we are being the right type of influence that is helping others to be more like Christ. And Paul here, we're going to see in Acts chapter 9, that there are three ingredients that were necessary 
for his life to change for the better. For his life to change to become more like Christ. What it takes to change a man. Well, first of all, we're going to see this evening that it takes an encounter. It takes, number one, an encounter. We see in in verse number uh, three that while Paul is on the road to Damascus... He's obviously, we know he's on the road to Damascus, not for a good reason. He's not going on vacation. He's not going to, uh, you know, his favorite restaurant in Damascus. That's not why he's on the road to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus because he has a clear purpose of persecuting the church of God. In fact, we see here that Saul was the main authority when it came to persecuting the church. He was, he was the messenger. He was the Uh, He was the the leader of this group that was sent to cause disruptions among the early church. And that was his mission. That was his goal. And little did he know that his life was going to change on something that was just a routine thing for, for Saul. This was routine for him. Some estimate that before this time in his life, he had killed nearly or had been responsible for the death of nearly 2,000 of these early church Christians. I don't know exactly what that number is, but uh, I, I would say it's, it's definitely a few hundred. I would say it's quite a bit. And so Saul was no doubt, uh, was definitely not expecting what was going to happen on the road to Damascus. But you know what? I'm so glad that this man, who was so key in propagating the early church, I'm so glad that he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that... While Saul wasn't seeking Christ, Christ was seeking Saul. Because, you see, that was his whole purpose for coming to this earth. He says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man is come for this purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. And by the way, we'll talk about this in a moment, but that's still the purpose today. That's still the purpose that the head of the church has for the church and that is to seek and to save that which is lost. No life can ever be changed. Understand this. No life can ever truly be changed for eternity without an encounter with Jesus Christ. Without an encounter with the Savior. And this is our responsibility. Nobody, in fact, let me say this, very few people are going to encounter Jesus Christ and be saved without us personally taking that message to them. Sure, I've heard of stories. Someone picks up a track off of the ground randomly, go home, goes home, reads the track, believes what the Word of God says and gets saved. That's incredible. But you know what? Even then, someone had to print that track. Someone had to pay for that track to be printed. Someone had to carry it with them for it to be dispersed. We're the ones that are responsible for leading others to this encounter with Christ. There is no way to heaven that bypasses the cross. Everyone that is going to be changed must go through Jesus Christ. And we know that John, or Jesus said in John 14, 6, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so, this encounter. Well, first of all, I want us to notice about this encounter that Saul experienced an unexpected call. An unexpected call. Imagine with me, if you were, you're Saul, you're on the road to Damascus, and boom, all of a sudden, a bright light shines on you, and you hear this voice from heaven. Now, this doesn't happen today. Some people say it, say that it does happen to them. 
we know that they're a little crazy, right? No, but God doesn't speak this way anymore. We have the complete word of God. Understand that. But Saul experienced something miraculous. In fact, it was something that, that identified him as, a, as an apostle. Just, just a, little, a little bit of doctrine for you today. An apostle was someone who had to have seen the risen Savior. They had to have seen Jesus Christ. And we find that in many of Paul's epistles, he names himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay? Nobody today is an apostle. Nobody today has seen the risen Christ. Paul, Saul was one of these, though, who could claim apostleship. Okay? So he, he, there was this unexpected call. Now, let me, just, let me just make a quick application here before we move on. You know, most people are not expecting for you to share the gospel with them. Most people are not expecting to wake up that, that morning and have a life-changing experience, have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. So you know what it takes? It takes us going to them. If we think that we can just sit back and that the lost people are just going to kind of flood these, these doors on a Sunday morning, it's not going to happen like we think it's going to happen. Listen, if we think that we can just pray and not go, if we think that we can just talk about soul winning and we can just pray that souls be saved, but we ourselves don't go, it's not going to happen. Because our prayers have to be accompanied with responsibility, with going, with sharing. We can pray all we want to, and of course, God wants to answer that prayer, but we also have a responsibility to fulfill in this role of of leading others to Christ, in this role of changing our culture, in this role of changing our society. And we're going to have to encounter people where they're at. They're not coming to seek us We've got to go seek them. Right? That's why we go door knocking. We don't expect the lost to come knocking on our door. We go to their door. We don't expect them to come up to us in a restaurant. We go up to them. That's our responsibility. Sure, is it uncomfortable? Of course. Of course it is. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have knocked on a door. They open up the door and just one little thing distracts me and, and I just get flustered in what I'm going to say. I had this whole plan. I had this whole script written out and, and I see they come to the door and it's, it's a really ugly dude with no shirt. Oh man, what am I going to do? I don't know. This is distracting now, right? Or this happened a lot where we grew up in, in Raleigh there's like five babies running around with, with no clothes. And you're like, what in the... Dress your kids. But, right? I mean, it's uncomfortable. But you know what? My, my professor in college always said, you know what? What if you're nervous? So what if you're nervous? Just hand out a track like this. You know what? Obey the Great Commission. Obey what Christ has commanded us to. It was an unexpected call for sure. He definitely was not anticipating Christ to show up. But secondly, I want us to notice that it was, there was an unrelenting conviction. There was an unrelenting conviction. Now, now Saul was definitely not expecting Jesus Christ to show up, but he was for sure, because we see this here, he was for sure experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He said in verse, uh, in verse 5, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Speaking there of the prodding, the, the, the pricking of the Holy Spirit. I believe every time 
Saul watched a Christian die, there was conviction of the Holy Spirit in his heart. There was a prodding. There was a pricking. Saul, this isn't right. You think you're doing right, but this isn't it. This is not what I have for you. This is not my will, Saul. And I believe every time he felt that pricking, I believe he felt it when he heard Stephen speak in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And when he saw Stephen stoned, I believe he felt that pricking. You know what? I'm so glad that for every one of us in this room, that the Holy Spirit convicted our hearts about salvation. Because you see, and I hope you understand this, don't downplay the role of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't get saved. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't realize our need for a Savior. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't realize that we're lost. Please understand that. Uh, Dr. Getch, uh, he's an evangelist that travels around and preaches. He said this uh, one time. He said, the greatest need for America is not that America be saved. He said, the greatest need for America is that America be lost. He said, America needs to realize, hey, listen, just because we're the greatest country and God has blessed us, just because we have a church to go to on a Sunday, doesn't mean a hill of beans for eternity. We have to realize that we're still a sinner. That just because we grow up in America does not mean that we're better than the rest of the world. Just because we're a Republican or because we're a Democrat or because we're, a, we're an, an independent doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. We are all, as Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. doesn't matter how short. What matters is that we've fallen short. I've given this example when, I, when I've shared the gospel with young people. You take the world's longest jumper, the, the, the one who can win the gold medal at the Olympics for, for the longest jump. And you take someone like myself, and you line us up at, on one of the cliffs of the Grand Canyon. Right? And you say, you've got to jump to the other side, or you're dead. Right? Of course. You fall a mile and a half down. So we both line up. We both get a running start. He's definitely a better jumper than I am, right? He's, he's the gold medalist. And we run and we jump. But you know what? We both go to the same place. We both end up at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Why? Because we fell short of the standard. We fell short of what was required for salvation. And it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how bad we are. The Holy Spirit convicts every single one of us of our sin and wants to draw us to the Savior. And he was doing that with Saul. Saul realized who he was hurting, really. He realized here, he was hurting Christ. He was hurting the name of Christ. Understand that when Christ, when God looks at our sin, it, it doesn't, he doesn't just see it as breaking his law. He doesn't just see it as as a violation of his word. He sees it as breaking his heart. Our sin breaks God's heart. Read the book of Hosea sometime. Hosea is a a wonderful picture of how our sin doesn't just break the law of God. It breaks the heart of God. And Jesus Christ was saying, listen, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I've already been persecuted. I've already been put on the cross. Stop! And I'm so glad that 
Saul realized this and that Christ sought him out to show him this. And the Holy Spirit drew Saul through conviction as we just, as we just realized. You know, I'm thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit will not glorify Himself. We find that in the Gospels, in the book of John. But I'm thankful for His work. I'm thankful for His drawing. Of course, we understand that, that it, the Holy Spirit doesn't force us into salvation. Right? That's Calvinism. We don't believe that. We believe that every man has a free will to choose whether or not they'll be saved. But you know what? We can't choose that without some prompting of the Holy Spirit. We'll never see our need for it. And so I'm thankful for that ministry that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. So it was definitely an unrelenting conviction going on in Saul's life. And then there was also an unforgettable conversion. (coughs) An unforgettable conversion. In verse 6 we find, And he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, I believe that this was the first time Saul ever asked that question in true sincerity. I believe this was the first time that Saul ever sincerely spoke to the Lord and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, if you read in the book of, uh, I believe it's Philippians, you'll find that Paul had an incredible resume. He was, in fact, he described himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the guy. I believe that Saul grew up his entire life saying, Mom and Dad, what wilt thou have me to do? Pharisees, what wilt thou have me to do? Teacher, what wilt thou have me to do? Leadership, what will thou have me to do? Paul had spent his entire life obeying the demands of people, but now we see it's, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So I, I believe this is the moment that Saul was saved. When he responded back in humility, not, oh, God, I'm not persecuting you. I'm a good guy. I know the first five books of the Bible for memory. That wasn't what he said. In humility, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What a conversion. An unforgettable conversion. And he he points back to this many times. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, he points back to this experience. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, he points back to it. Galatians 1, 15 and 16, he points back to this experience. And listen, let me me just uh, set uh, aside right here. And let me just say that you should remember something about the day that you got saved. Don't base your salvation on what your mom and dad tell you. Oh, you're saved. And you don't know anything about it. Don't, don't, don't base your salvation on how good you are. Right? Don't think, well, I must have gotten saved at some point because, man, I'm, this, I'm a great teenager. I'm a great young person. I, I, I'm this great guy. I give a lot of money. I serve in my church. I do all these things. I must be saved. No, listen. Just like Saul, I believe we should be able to point point back to a time in our lives where we got saved. And we know it. We know that we 
felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we repented of our sins. And we turned to Christ for salvation. And there should be a change that results from that decision. Man, what an encounter. What an encounter. And I hope you've had that today. I've hoped that, I hope that you have had a point in your life where you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, you know what? You may not have been expecting it when you got here. But tonight, you can come forward and somebody can share with you how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And you know what? Saul spent the rest of his life serving his Savior. Not serving himself, not serving his boss, not serving other people, serving the Savior. And I can't think of a greater master to serve than Jesus Christ. And so there was an encounter. But secondly, what it takes to change a man, what it took to change Paul, is there was an encourager. There was an encourager. So we see in verse 6 that the Lord gives a command to Saul. He says, and he trembling astonished said, Lord, what will I have me to do? Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, I don't know about you, I would want a little more information than that. I would, right? Um, we've been in the, in the process of buying a house. And it's gone on for a long time. A very long time. We were supposed to close on our house on June the 6th. And, Lord willing, we're going to be closing tomorrow. So, it's been a long process. And throughout the whole process, there has been hardly anybody that has told us what it is that we're supposed to do. When is your date to close? I don't know. I, I don't, how much money are we supposed to, supposed to give you? How much money are you stealing from me? <laughs> I don't know. Like, nothing. I want a little more information, people, please. This is my livelihood we're talking about, Right? This is, this is a lot of money for my family. So, please, tell me something. Right? We don't like going through life without information. We don't like the unknown. But you know what? Saul had to do some trusting right off the bat. You know what, Saul? You're on your way to Damascus. Just keep going. I know you're... Listen, this is so funny. He's even blind. He can't see. He's been able to see his whole life, and now he can't see. And now he's being told to go to a city, and he doesn't even know what he's going to do there. Man, this takes some faith. This takes some obedience. Go to Damascus. I'll show you, when you get there, what you're going to do. So, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. That's tough too. Eat nor drink for three days. Wow. Verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. 
But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. Now we're going to take a little bit of a turn here, and we're going to start talking a little bit about Ananias. Because you see, what it also took to change Saul's life was an encourager was someone who was going to believe in Saul and more importantly than that, believe in what God had commanded Ananias to do. Because you see, what God's going to command Ananias to do made absolutely no sense. In fact, it was scary what God commanded Ananias to do. You know, I'm glad that when we get saved, God doesn't leave us alone. That the moment I trust in Him, God doesn't just say, all right, You got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 more years. Just kind of do what you want to do. Hopefully when you get to heaven, you'll have done something good and I can reward you for it. No, he doesn't do that. I'm glad that God gives us real life people to help us become the person that Christ wants us to be. And Ananias was the very first one of these for Saul. Imagine what it must have been like to be to, 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 to read back, I, 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 maybe Ananias got a picture of this in heaven. And for the Lord to show Ananias what his small few moments of encouragement did in the life of Saul. Ananias was the first one. And I believe this. Had there never been an Ananias in Damascus, we wouldn't have half our New Testament. At least written by this man, Saul. I don't believe the world would have been turned upside down for Christ through the life of Saul. I don't believe that. Because it required an Ananias. It required someone who was going to say, you know what, Lord, I trust you. I know this is a man who's killed thousands, but you know what? If you say that you're going to use him, then I believe you. And I'm going to do whatever you say I need to do to help encourage this man. And so we see, first of all, we see Ananias' apprehension. We see his apprehension for sure. In verse 13, um, in verse, yeah, in verse 13, we see Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Of course, who would not be apprehensive about standing face to face with your enemy? I mean, I think about those people who hate Christians to the point that they want to burn down their churches and blow them up in suicide missions and kill them. I can't imagine going up to their door and saying, hey, can I have dinner with you? Just so you know, I'm a Christian, by the way. Right? I can't imagine that. Ananias, no doubt, had a very real a very understanding apprehension. I think that we would all have. And before we we look down at Ananias and say, why would Ananias question the commands of God? Let's put ourselves in his shoes. Of course. Man, I I would be a little little skeptical about this. Um, You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this passage is that Ananias was a possibly, we don't know, was possibly just a few days from being a victim of Saul's. Right? Saul was on his way to Damascus. Saul was on his way to Damascus 
to persecute the Christians that were there. And who was a Christian in Damascus? Ananias was. And so it's quite possible that Ananias was a future victim of Saul's. That Ananias would have possibly been been killed by Saul if at the least he would have been taken to prison uh, and and beaten for being a Christian. That that blows my mind. Just how, how Christ just changed the scenario so quickly. How Christ just changed all of this so quickly. No doubt he was, he was apprehensive. But you know what? We have apprehensions. We have questions. We're skeptical many times. But that never gives us, gives us an excuse not to be an encouragement to those people. It never gives us an excuse to disobey the Word of God and to say, you know what? That person doesn't look like somebody who would respond the right way. You know what? Their reputation that they've had their entire lives, they don't deserve for me to invest time in them. God forgive us of that spirit towards others. Because you know what? Had it not been for an Ananias in my life, who knows where I'd be? Had it not been for an Ananias in your life, who knows where you would be? I'm so glad that there was somebody in my life who said, I don't care about what they've done in their past. And I, you know what? I don't even care so much about what they're doing now. But I do care that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And I want to do whatever I can. I want God to use me however He can to be an influence in their life. That doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with them. But you know what? You should at the least pray for them. And send them an encouraging note. And reach out to them at church and maybe do invite them over for dinner. But be an Ananias, even if you're apprehensive about it. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even, listen, if there's a possibility, even if there's a possibility that it may hurt you to encourage them. It hurt Christ, by the way, to give us eternal life. But he did it anyway. I'm so glad he did. So we see, first of all, his apprehension. Then we see God's affirmation. We see God's affirmation. You see, I'm glad that when we are apprehensive, when we are a little nervous, when we are a little skeptical, that we can look in the Word of God and we can find comfort, we can find peace. We can see examples. One of the, one of the stories I've been reading quite a bit this week is the story of the prodigal son. What, a, what an incredible transformation in his life. And you know what? When the prodigal son returned home, he didn't need somebody who was going to look their nose down at him and tell him how bad of a son he was and tell him how bad of a person he was and tell him how much he had wasted, their li- wasted the substance and wasted the inheritance and how he didn't deserve to be a son anymore. He needed someone to embrace him with loving arms. He needed someone who was going to care about him like, listen, a heavenly father has cared about us. We see that God affirmed in the life of Ananias, hey, this is exactly what I want you to do. Listen, he's not that man anymore. He's not the old man anymore. He's a new creature. And I'm going to show you exactly, I need you to show him what things he's going to do for me. You know what? I'm so glad that Ananias was available. 
I'm glad that there was an Ananias in Damascus who was available, who was there, who wanted God to use them. Someone once said this, that the greatest ability that God uses is availability. The greatest ability that God uses is availability. Just say, God, you know what? I don't know what it is you have for me to do, but I'm going to trust you. Here I am, Lord. Send me. If you want me to go and to live without air conditioning and to live without cars and to live without the food that I've grown up on, if you want me to live with with two pairs of clothes in my house to go tell someone about you, to go tell a heathen people about you, I'm willing to go, Lord. God wants us to be available. So we see that, first of all, there was an encounter with Jesus Christ. Secondly, for, for Saul's life to change, there had to be an encourager. Listen, to encourage someone means to come alongside of them. It means to help them. You know, if I wasn't walking alongside of Clarissa, she would fall and hit her head so many times, she'd probably be brain dead in an hour. She falls all the time. She runs into stuff. She climbs on stuff and then jumps off or falls off. Anyway. I need to come alongside of her and help her. That's what an encourager does. A little babe in Christ needs someone to put their arm around them and to help them take the baby steps so that, listen, when they fall, they got a hold of my hand. I can help them right back up. They can give me a call. Hey, you know that problem that I've been having? I just fell in. I really need your help. We all need an encourager in our life. That was Ananias for Saul. But then lastly, we see what it takes to change a man is an engagement. An engagement, number three. We see it in verse number uh, 15. The Lord said unto him, unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And it, it, it required an engagement. An involvement, let's put it that way. An involvement in the work of God. You know what? God didn't just say, you know what, Saul? I want you to grow closer to me. I, I want you to become more like me. And that was it. And you see, God has more for us than just walking with him. And listen, that's the greatest thing that you can do in this life is to walk with God. But you know, God has even more than that. God has saved us. God wants to have a relationship with us. But he also wants to employ us in his kingdom. He wants us to be involved in the work of God. You know, I find growing up in church my entire life, through experience and through watching others, that the people who grow the most in Christ are those who are some of the busiest people in the work of Christ. They're constantly serving. They're constantly busy. Now listen, we've got to be careful not to become a Martha. We've got to be careful that we're not so busy serving and so busy soul winning and so busy uh, involved in VBS and so busy in community activities that we're not walking with Christ. But you know what? Someone who is walking with Christ while simultaneously serving Christ, you know what? They get to experience the things that they're learning in their time with God. 
They get to practically walk out those steps. And you know what? You know what it generates in their mind? I want more. I want to learn more. Man, this is incredible. You mean if I'm faithful to share the gospel, that somebody's going to be saved eventually? Oh, yeah. You know, when I've had the the most fire in my, spiritually speaking, to share the gospel with someone is right after I just led someone to Christ. I want to go do it again. It's 10 o'clock at night, but I still want to knock on doors. People are going to call the cops, right? No, but listen, Saul needed to be engaged in the work of God. There There was the master's will. See, it was no longer Saul's will. Jesus said, I will show him what things, or or, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. It was, it was the Lord's work. It was no longer about Saul. And Saul realized that. He said, he he said in Philippians, to, to, to know him, that I may know him. Saul wanted to live his life for the glory of one, for the uplifting of one name, for the work of one God. That's Saul's purpose. It was the master's will. It was the master's work. It it was going to require that he put in some effort. And and we know that Paul suffered so many things. That Paul was busy day and night preaching the gospel. Even cities that would reject the gospel, he would just pick himself up and go to the next city. And I tell you, he was someone who literally was spent for the cause of Christ. He was spent. It was a work But we see that he was going to suffer, no doubt, the messenger's woe. He he was going to suffer. It wasn't going to be easy. See, I think we get in the mindset as as Americans that, well, I could be a Christian. It's not going to really cost me anything. Right? Right? One of the greatest blessings of America is the freedom of religion. But I think if we're not careful, it can also be one of the greatest Amen. curses. Amen. I'm glad that we can come and worship freely. But if, if we're not careful, we can allow it to breed apathy in our lives. You read about a man named Edgar, Edgar Fagali, a modern-day missionary in the Middle East. And I tell you, he's on the front lines as a soldier of Christ. We don't, I, I don't think we've suffered enough as Americans for the name of Christ. Now, I may be wrong about you. You, you may, in your workplace, suffer every single day when you go. And, and I feel for you. But I... I think that if we're not careful, we can allow the freedoms we have to breed apathy in our lives. And we've got to be careful of that. Because the Bible says that they that will live godly shall suffer persecution. We certainly don't want to go looking for persecution. We want to look to serve Christ. But understand that persecution will come. Don't want the easy road in Christianity. Don't take the easy road in Christianity. Take God's road in Christianity. And if that means suffering for the name of Christ, then love your Christ enough to be willing to suffer just like He suffered for you. 
Man, what it takes to change a man. It takes an encounter with Jesus Christ. How busy are you engaging others with Jesus Christ? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that. That's our responsibility. How busy are you? Have you had an encounter? Have you had a life-changing, saving experience with Jesus Christ? If not, tonight can be your night. It took an encourager. Are you busy encouraging, coming alongside of somebody else and helping them to grow closer to Christ? If we're going to be changed, we've got to have an encourager. And if we're going to see this world change, we've got to be that encourager. And it takes an engagement. Being involved in the work of God. You're not as close to Christ as you should be. Try getting involved. Try teaching a Sunday school class. Try try coming to Soul Winning on Tuesday nights, Tuesday mornings, Saturday mornings. Get involved. What it takes to change a man. How has God spoken to your heart tonight? Let's stand this evening, heads bowed and eyes closed. I pray that God has spoken to you in some way. I don't know how. I don't know the hearts. But God does. Do you need to resolve tonight to be a better soul winner? If so, talk to the Lord about it. Do you need to be an encourager? Have you been more of a discourager than you have been an encourager? Talk to the Lord about it tonight. Do you need to get involved in the work of God? Tell God tonight, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And he'll show you. However God spoke to your heart tonight, I pray that you would deal with it this evening. Lord, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Saul. And I pray that we would take his example. Take the example of Ananias and we'd apply it to our lives. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to... On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.